Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Real Life Oscar Challenge. As always, I'm your host, Mike Levito, and I'm joined by Lars Emerson and Kathleen Levito. And we're here to do, to do part two of the 2009 Academy Awards. Now, if you'll remember, 2009 is the first year when the Academy Awards went to nominating five nominees to ten nominees. Um, and because we don't hate ourselves, we didn't decide to record an episode where we talk about ten movies because that'd be way too much. Because we don't um, hate you is what it really is. <laughs> <laughs> well, because I don't want you to hate well, the listeners. I thought you were talking yeah, about me yeah. for a second. <laughs> <laughs> we don't want you guys to have to sit through three hours. Yeah, yeah. Um, we can always time it, but then we wouldn't really be saying much, would we? Um, anyway... Uh, so, uh, th- th- this is this is part two, so I'm not going to do the whole, it was the year, blah, 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 because I already did that. We're just kind of jump into it. Um, to refresh you, though, in our first episode, we discussed Avatar, The Blind Side, District 9, and Education, The Hurt Locker. And this episode, we'll be talking about Inglorious Bastards, Precious, based on the whole push by Sapphire, A Serious Man, Up and Up in the Air. You ready? I'm ready. Cool. Let's start things off with Inglorious Bastards, directed by Quentin Tarantino, written by Quentin Tarantino, starring Brad Pitt, Christoph Waltz, Michael Fassbender, Eli Roth, Diane Kruger, Daniel Bruhl, Till Schweiger, Melanie Laurent, August Deal, Julie Dreyfus, Sylvester Groth, Jackie Ido, Denis Menoche, Mike Myers, Rod Taylor, and Martin Watteke. Who is um, Michael Fassbender? He is the British soldier. Who, like... Dies. He's the one who like meets with the German lady in the bar. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah, yeah, and, like, yeah, it doesn't go well. Yeah, um, which is funny because he was born in Ireland and I believe raised in the UK, but his father's German. So, that is funny. Yeah, um, fits. Anyway, Inglorious Bastards. Uh, the story. Well, it's kind of two stories, right? Um, you have the story of Shoshana, who is uh, this French Jewish girl whose family is murdered by Hans Landa, who's a colonel for the SS who specializes in hunting down Jewish refugees. Um, she comes to own a uh, cinema in Paris, and uh, turns out that they're going to be debuting a new German propaganda film there, and she plots to kill the Nazi high command while they're there. And they also have the Inglorious Bastards themselves, a sort of crack squad of Jewish-American commandos um, who run sort of like shock and awe techniques against the German soldiers. Um, and are also trying to kill the members of German High Command. Uh, let's start with Lars. What did you think of Inglorious Bastards? So I think I'd seen all of this movie in like parts, but never all together. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the reason for that is it's kind of like too long. Yeah, uh, I think it's good. The pacing's weird. Yeah, I. You could convince me that this is Tarantino's worst movie. Oh, I very much disagree. Oh! <laughs> um, I'm not saying I think that. Right. I'm just saying I think you could convince me. Okay. I think it's good. Mm-hmm. You know, I give it four out of five stars. Um, it just could be better, and it could be more, like, succinct, but, like, Tarantino likes to, like, insist on himself, and, like, you know, someone's got to put a shoe on someone else. Um, <laughs> um, Wait till you see Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Oh, God. <laughs> um, it's, um, you know, it's broken up to, what, six acts, five acts? Something like that. Yeah. Um, that I guess all kind of end at this dramatic movie theater scene at the end where it's like, they're going to go hit, kill Hitler, but like everyone kind of meets up and there's like crossed wires over... Like, this group's here to kill Hitler. This lady who owns the theater also wants to kill Hitler. Um, 
they get their man. Hitler is killed, um, just like in real life. <laughs> um, it, it's just, it's, it's, like, there's a lot of good shots. There's a lot of good acting. It's just a little, like, showy and a little long. I, I, I think you can do this movie half an hour, 45 minutes shorter, and I think you could cut out, like, y- you could kind of cut out, like, one act. That's fair. Um, do you want to go first or should I go first? I want to go. Okay. Well, yeah, I'll go because okay. I just start talking. I love this movie. Mm-hmm. Like, we watched so many freaking Lars movies <laughs> that are just about, like, society and economics and justice <laughs> reigning. And, like, this is a Kathleen movie. Actually, this this episode has multiple instances of... This whole year had multiple instances of Kathleen movies. This is one of them. Where it's just, I want something that is shock and awe, that will make me laugh, that makes me feel good, that makes me feel powerful, that has powerful characters who are also fun and quirky. Like, I just want to, like, be taken out of the real world. And this movie just, I do agree that it is a little long. And I do agree that not every act hits. And I do, honestly, like, I forget that it's about the Inglorious Bastards. Like, I, I feel like Shoshana's storyline is a little bit more compelling. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, and I really don't, like, it's funny to me that, like, it's called Inglorious Bastards because I constantly forget that they're a thing, mm-hmm. especially because, like, Shoshana's the one who ends up, like, really doing the damage. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just, like, I don't care. They're fun characters to watch. I like them. Um... Quentin Tarantino always just makes, like, big, loud things that you're like, did you really need to do that? It seems a little excessive, but yet he does it, and I'm happy watching it. Always has good music in his movies. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think the music was a little out of place in this one. Well, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's a whole David Bowie sequence. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> in World so, War II. uncomfy. But, and it wasn't even, like, I don't even feel like it was, like, I mean, I guess kind of time period out of place, but... I feel like just narratively out of place too, mm-hmm. but at the end of the day, yeah, it didn't really make a sense. No, sense to me. it's a weird cue. It was almost just like it's Quentin like, Tarantino was like, I always put cool music in my movies, mm-hmm. so bam. Yeah. Um. But over, I just love this movie. I like don't think I understand why it's Oscar nominated. I often don't understand. That's a theme with me, but I am not complaining. I really love this movie. I'm so happy we got to watch it. It, like, revived me. This and another movie we're going to talk about in this episode, like, revived me after all of the, like, like, sodden, like, crunchy (laughs) World War II movies we had to watch that are just, like, musty and sad. Like, this, like, I just felt so much better. (laughs) Yeah. Fair enough. So... Here, 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 here are my takes. Okay. okay. So, um, as to why it's not made for an Oscar, well, it's kind of, well, there's two reasons why. One is it's like it's so it's an homage, like a lot of Tarantino movies. It's like an homage to like a like genre of World War II movies yeah. that was big in like the 50s and 60s, like Guns of Navarone or The Great Escape, where it's like not really stories based on literal uh, like facts of the war, but more so just, like, adventure stories told within the context of the war. Um, and uh, I I agree, it, it is very long, and I remember my first saw this, I'm like, this is just kind of, like, a lot of talking, and a lot of... I love it, though. 
Oh my god, I love it. I think you cut out the act where they all go to the basement of the bar and have the like things on their stickers. Yeah, I do yeah. It's yeah. like it goes on yeah. half an hour and it yeah. takes weight. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, go on. But I also think that's but when I watched the point I realized that was kind of the point. So the point of this, I realized like it's an homage to like, you know, World War II adventure movies, yes. But Tarantino th- it's also about like why he thinks those are like relevant or important because the whole thing it's it's so many of the conversation of this movie is a character asking another character what they've heard of the character who's like asking the question like Colonel Hall's line is always like what have you heard of me um you know Brad Pitt's like what have you heard of the bastards right it's all about storytelling and so it's a movie kind of about like propaganda and about kind of like because like the glorious bastards themselves are not not they're not like not just doing like strategically important things like they're meant to like strike fear into the heart of the Nazis mm. right it's like you know they send the bear Jew after them right they, and people think he's like a golem like he's like a mystical figure right it's like they're there to like break their will so much as they are to like actually like scalp them um, and what I think is interesting is that what really kind of hit home for me is towards the end when Londa captures like Brad Pitt and BJ Novak and he cuts a deal with uh, like the US government that um he won't turn them in to the German authorities, which means that um, their plot will go through in the theater and, you know, everyone will die and it'll be the end of the war. But in exchange, you know, he'll get, like, a place in, like, Nantucket and he gets immunity, basically. Mm-hmm. And he gets a Congressional Medal of Honor. And he specifically says, like, when the military history is written of this night, this is what you'll this is what you'll say. Um, and you think about Shoshana and the Bastards, what's interesting is, is that everyone in that theater who sees Shoshana's face um, dies. No one actually knows, like, when, when this movie ends, no one's actually going to know what happened in the theater because everyone dies. And they're going to be told that it was an Inglourious Bastard who did everything. They're going to be told that maybe it's Hans Landa who helped them out, right? Mm-hmm. And so it's kind of about how we tell stories to cope with war, how true those stories actually are, if it matters if they're actually true, um, and kind of what role storytelling plays in war. Um, so I think that's why it was not made for Best Picture. Because it actually is, like... And what I appreciate, I think this is kind of like the Tarantino movie that, like, he has the most to say in. Or at least from my perspective. Like, maybe Django Unchained has always felt, like, a little more straightforward where it's just, like, slavery really sucked and they all should die. And this is kind of like, Nazism really sucked and they all should die. But I also think that, you know, there's a bit more to say about kind of, like, the nature of war films and all of that. See, I love it even more now. You, I love this movie. You opened my eyes. <laughs> <laughs> like, kinda. I, that... I guess that didn't occur to me. Yeah. Um, it didn't occur to me to funny. And you think about it, too, there, there is, like, very tarantino things where, like, the dashing British soldier, like, why is he so important? Because he has an encyclopedic knowledge of German cinema. Mm. It's like, of course, that's who Quentin Tarantino's hero would be, right? Yeah. Um, but it's also, like, you know, it tells the importance of, like, you know, to really know the enemy, you have to know their stories, you have to know their art. Um, it's all about that. I I think I still sort of stand by... Like, I, I didn't mean that literally. Like, Death Proof is not Quentin Tarantino's best movie. Or, or, it's or, probably or, his worst one. Right. Yeah. I haven't, I've um, never seen Death Proof. The worst one I've seen is The Hateful Eight. But I haven't seen that one either. Yeah. I, I do think this is probably one of his least rewatchable. Is it? Yeah. It just, yeah, like, yeah. goes well, on. I would well, rewatch this all the time. Um, it, 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 I, it, I have no need to rewatch this it's movie, pretty slow. It's pretty slowly paced. Yeah. Yeah. I... I, I don't I don't disagree with you. It's there, tedious. Actually. That's the word. No, it's very it, it tedious. Can be. This is yeah. like one of those movies though for me that like I would just put it on and like have it as background and genuinely enjoy. Mm-hmm. You know, there's like a handful like that's another thing like with um like what is the movie? 
like I couldn't do that with um, Pulp Fiction. I feel like it would irritate me. Mm-hmm. But I could just like I like enjoy this movie. I like genuinely just like it's easy for me. There's nothing really about it that irritates me. It is slow, but it doesn't get on my nerves. Like I just love this movie. See, I kind of think Pulp Fiction is the same way. Is like I liked it the first time, and now the more I watch it, the more I realize, oh god, this is long. Oh god, this is kind of tedious. It's like maybe maybe we're just growing up. It's like maybe Tarantino was cool when I was thirteen, and he's just less cool now. I do agree with that. Um, it's just like I don't. Yeah, I don't know. Like, what am I gonna? I mean, obviously, I didn't take away what I was supposed to take away the first time. But I, like, I don't see. Like, I would not have fun rewatching this in the next year. I would. Uh, yeah, I think I would. I would. I would I watch know. it tonight. I like this movie a lot. All right. Well, listeners, you can hang out with me while they're rewatching this movie. <laughs> One thing I do love talking about the music. I do love like the guitar riff they play whenever they go into like a flashback yeah. or they show like a title, like a name. That one's really cool. Um, but yeah, Inglorious Bastards. We're going Inglorious Bastards. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Um, it was nominated for sound mixing, sound editing, uh, film editing, cinematography, original screenplay. It won. Christoph Waltz won for best supporting actor. Speaks four languages in this movie. He's very good. He is, yes. Um, directed by uh, 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 Quentin Tarantino, nominated for Best Director, and it was nominated for Best Picture, of course. Uh, moving on to a very different movie, but one Kathleen also really liked, is Precious, based on the novel Push by Sapphire. Directed by Lee Daniels, uh, the screenplay written by Jeffrey S. Fletcher, which was, of course, based on Push by the, the novel Push by Sapphire. Uh, starring Gabri Sibby, Monique, Paula Patton, Mariah Carey, Sherry Shepard, and Lenny Kravitz. Uh, Precious is the story of Precious Jones, who is a uh, teenager living in Harlem. She's 16 years old, and her life is a living hell. She lives with her abusive mother. Um, she is pregnant with her second child by her father. She is still in like the 7th or 8th grade. Um, but uh, she is in going to enroll in a, in a uh, excuse me alternative school. She's basically going to get her GED. Um, and it's about her... Uh, she's in high school, right? Yeah. Well, no, she's, no, 16, no. she's 16, but she never got past the 8th grade. Oh, oh. yeah, yeah. Um, and it's about her kind of... Uh, it, 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 a lot, it's about her sort of, like, beginning to leave her mother's household, basically, and then kind of finding a new purpose through education, I guess, is kind of the, the most succinct way to put that. You're the biggest fan of this movie, Kathleen. Yeah, yeah. So why don't you go first? Okay. First, I want to say that there are things I really liked about this film. Mm. And then there are things that I was not a huge fan of. Okay. So it's not like I'm totally in the camp of Precious is Perfect and there's nothing wrong with it. That being said, I really enjoyed this movie. I would not say I love this movie in the way that I love Inglourious Bastards. Very different movies. And I also don't think it's a movie that you can really say, like, oh, I would watch that again for yeah, sure. Yeah, definitely not. Like, that's, like, you should, you know, <laughs> do a little introspective work yeah. if that's you. <laughs> yeah. But I will say, like, I think, like, a Kathleen movie is, like, one, something that's, like, Tarantino-esque, like, very showy, very witty, very, like, over-the-top. Or it's something that's just, like, very character-focused, like, heavily so, and it doesn't have to be depressing, because I know my mom thinks I like depressing things. It doesn't have to be, but, like, something like this, where it's just about one, essentially one character, and we're just following them, I, like, I, I love. I love it. This is why I, like, 
often gravitate towards indie movies because they're not usually good at writing plots, but they're pretty decent at writing characters. Um, I just makes me happy. I love it. That's all I care about. I don't care about background noise. I just want to follow people and see people deal with what life throws at them. Um, and I think that's like the bulk of why I really loved Precious is because for me, it was a huge breath of fresh air. If like, I was really captivated by the story. It's very depressing. It's very uncomfortable, but I also am very comfortable with being uncomfortable in that way. Like, I don't like absolute gore, but like stuff that's like abuse and like mental health and stuff like that. I'm actually very comfortable sitting and watching that. Um, so I like that. I like that it like, I like that sometimes I feel like movies do a bad job of, or like will like sugarcoat certain things or not sugarcoat, but not actually show the depth of things. I like that how they show that she creates fantasies in order to like, move through her life and exist in her life. I like those that those fantasies are very, like, idealized. She fantasizes about being, like, a thin blonde woman and stuff like that. So it is, like, you get that sense of, like, she's creating an idea ideal fantasy life in order to deal with, like, literally in the moments when she is, you know, in the moments of her abuse and stuff like that, she's creating that. Which is a thing that people do, and I like that they, like, gave representation to that. It's a very common thing, especially with children who are abused. It's why people develop multiple personality disorder. It's a thing. Um, things I did not like about this movie. I didn't really like the whole, like, there was, like, a saving path for her. Where, like, once she got to school, everything was fine. I don't know if that's true. I feel like she, she doesn't feel that way at all. Well, and she's also, like, homeless for a period of when she, after she does that. Yeah, but her a teacher takes her in. Yeah, but she's still homeless for, like, Christmas. Her mother still throws a microwave at her. She throws a TV at her. Oh, yeah, that's right, TV. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's very important, because all her mom does is watch TV. Yeah, so. that's true. <laughs> um, I don't know. There were certain parts of it. Like, she has a social worker, like, a public social worker. Played by Mariah Carey. Played by Mariah Carey, who's really on top of her shit, which is... That role, I want to speak to that role. I've never done that. But role. the thing is, she's not really on top of that. On top of her, it's like she's supposed to be like overworked and. She doesn't seem overworked though. I don't. The Mariah it. character, yeah. Or the Paula Patton character. The Mariah, the Mariah. Really? Yeah. Also, the Paula Patton, like she's a teacher in an alternative school, and she affords that townhouse. She's got a partner. I know. It's so crazy to me. Plus, we don't know where they are. Or they're in New York. Yeah, yeah. Harlem. I don't know where. So the Paula Patton probably not lives. that expensive. Well, I don't know where Paul Patton lives. Yeah, but, you know, hmm. it's the... what I, The decade jump. <laughs> what decade is it again? It's in the 80s. 80s. Yeah, that confused me. So then New York and, like, you yeah. know, up, uh, uptown. It's probably not, yeah, yeah. like, that expensive. Mm -hmm. Anyway. Um, overall, I really enjoyed this movie. I decided to not let you guys trample on that for me. I really enjoyed this movie. I personally didn't think it was uncomfortable to watch. Most people would. <laughs> So I think this was actually the most difficult movie I've ever had to watch in my life. Like, no movie has ever made me more uncomfortable. And, like, I got, like, legit stomachache watching this movie. Like, this is, like, harrowing. At least I think it is. Like, it's honestly the most disturbing movie I've ever watched. And, like, I'm not saying that's a bad thing. It's effective, because it got that reaction out of me. But there is a part of me that thinks there's something about it that does rub me the wrong way a little bit 
where I can't always tell if this movie is as sympathetic to its characters as it should be. There's a little bit of me that feels like this is Lee Daniels gawking at, like, a teenager with, like, a disabled child. Like, I don't know. There's, like, I, I get a little bit of that sense where it's, like, we can't just tell the story of, like, we have to make this as miserable and as sort of, like, fringy as possible. And um, there's something that, that I find off-putting about that. Um, that they have to go to this extreme. They feel like they have to go to this extreme to, like, give you a sense of, like, what poverty is like or what abuse is like. Um, and I know, like, I'm not asking for, like, an easy-to-watch movie about poverty or abuse, but this feels like it takes it up a notch where it becomes, like, almost kind of, like, insane. Um, not saying that there aren't people who live like this, because I'm sure there are, and I'm sure there were, but I don't know. There's just something about it that's kind of, like... Maybe this is by design, but there's something about it that kind of makes it feel a little just sort of, like, gawky a little bit. It's disingenuine. It, it comes across kind of disingenuine. And, and disingenuous. I, I, yeah, well, yeah. Um, I'm willing to chalk... So it is based on a book. Yes. So it's like, Lee Daniels doesn't really have a say in what it's about. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll get to how he does his job poorly later. Um... <laughs> I kind of agree. It's like, it's it's clearly meant to just make me feel as sad as possible, but like, it was so brazen with that that mm. I actually ended up just feeling kind of mad. I was like, you are trying to make me feel this, and you're basically like, putting, like at the beginning of the movie, it's like, we want you to be sad, mm-hmm. and it just like, made me like, very angry. Mm-hmm. Um, I think ultimately, I didn't feel what either of you felt. I think, thinking back on it, I feel nothing. I feel absolutely nothing about what happened to this character, <laughs> like now. I like I, I kind of think most of the characters are pretty poorly designed. They're very like they're not deep. Like there's no depth. Precious for sure isn't. There's like there's no, no depth. No depth. Um and it's like this seems and it's like the like Yes, I'm sure bad, terrible, even worse things have happened to people, but it's like it was like the like cascading like waves of just like terror on this young woman's life. It's like this is a little like, unreasonable. Like, you know, I don't know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Maybe she should meet a puppy one day. Like, <laughs> a good thing could happen She to does. Her. Does she? She gets, like, well, I mean, she gets, like, knocked out by those dudes. Oh, my God. And then God. she wakes up when a dog's, like, looking her face. Oh, but then she fan- in, 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 in one of her fantasies later, it's she's, like, that dog is her dog. Oh. Um. Yeah, so I guess from, like, a writing and, like, character standpoint, I think it's bad. That's not really Lee Daniels' fault. What Lee Daniels' fault is, is that this movie looks terrible. It looks really bad. It looks like... It's it's very oversaturated, the color. Yes, it looks like one of those you-wouldn't-download-a-car commercials. Mm -hmm. Or trailers. Whatever they put on DVDs and VHSs. Or is it desaturated? I I was confused he said It it just looks bad, and it's jumpy, and it's like, it's kind of Slumdog Millionaire. Like, I don't... If that's what they were going for... Yeah, it's just, it does it poorly is it looks, like, grainy and jumpy. It, like, kind of reminds me of... I don't know why I'm going to say this on a public thing. It kind of reminds me of, like, anime. (laughs) (laughs) Of which I used to watch when I took Japanese in high school. Okay. Um, There's no shame in liking anime. uh, Some of them are very good. A lot of people like anime. This is a safe space. Um, But but it's, like, the, like, stylistic, like, jumpiness and, like... um, 
uh, like kind of diagonalist like diagonal nature of the shots like not because like the angle's tilted but just because like it's like whoosh, whoosh. Mm-hmm. um was very like anime cut for me <laughs> um, interesting yeah I just kind of think it looks bad it does and it's interesting because I feel like there's like there's a way to make your movie look bad that makes it look good like the Hurt Locker right. looked bad but it looked good the Hurt Locker was kind of grainy, looked like it was like on like a VHS tape, but it looked good. Right. Whereas this looks like it's sort of like overcorrected to look bad. It it looks like a <laughs> it looks like a mid two thousands like rap video. Yeah. Yeah. Um, exactly. Yes. Yeah. And it's yeah. like there's no like shot in this movie. Where I was like, that's a good shot. Mm-hmm. That looks good. Yeah. Never. It never happened. Like even like sh- the shitty movies we've watched before, like Babel had like some good shots. Mm-hmm. There is no good shot. It's just bad. Okay. It's just like it felt low budget, and it looked low budget, mm-hmm. and it seems low budget. <laughs> Do you have a reaction to this, Kathleen? I I don't care. I just <laughs> like that movie, honestly. For like the mom's monologue at the end, this entire movie's worth it. That was a great monologue. It is. It's also very disturbing. I I loved it. But it's I I do like, and there are parts of like what I do think is that like as cruel as this movie can be to its characters, I do think kind of like the overriding theme is actually the human capacity for kindness. And that obviously, I think, comes through the the strongest with Paula Patton's character, who really goes out of her way to help Precious succeed. Um, but I, it really starts with the principal at her school, right? Because she gets kicked out of school because she's pregnant. Um, but then the principal goes out of her way to go all the way to her house at, like, you know, the middle of Harlem to this, like, I guess it's public housing. And, like, says, like, hey, like, you, like, you should go to the school. And she, you know, she knows Precious isn't going to have the documentation she needs for the school, so she sends it herself. Um, it's also with Lenny Kravitz's character, who just kind of felt like a, hey, I'm Lenny Kravitz role for a little bit. But, but no, think about it. Like, he slept for, like, the $20 during Christmas. Um, he's, like, in, he's actually, like, he's, he, he, he's all, the first time he meets her is when she's, like, having contractions and, like, giving birth to this child. And yet he sort of, like, feels the need to stay by her bedside even after she's all done. He goes to, like, her... I guess, like, she wins an award for, like, writing or something. He goes to, like, her party. Um, you know, he feels the need to stay connected to her. And so I, I think in some way, like, there's the idea that, like, there there is hope in this movie, right? It's not all despair. Um, but what I do like about... What I did like about, like, the final scene where you get the mother's monologue about how the abuse started, um, which, you know... It becomes very clear the cycle is that, like, she didn't stand up to her boyfriend slash Precious's father, and then she ended up blaming Precious for him leaving, and Precious is kind of like, yeah, screw you, it's all your fault, and gets up and leaves. That's a good ending, you know. Uh, The mother deserved that. Um, So, yeah. I, what I like about that monologue, too, is, like, you learn so much about the mother and her needs and her pain that, like, I don't know if you guys felt this, but, like, as an audience member, I was like, oh, how, like, sympathetic am I supposed to be to this? And it made me stop and be like, where is my capacity for kindness? Right. Like, how do I, how would I respond to someone telling me all that and what I feel for them? Mm-hmm. Or would I be like, yeah, but you had a decision to make, too? Exactly, yeah. It's like, it really tests your boundary of, like, you want to give people the benefit of the doubt because it's like, oh, they had a tough life. But at the same time, you're like you cross you cross a threshold at some point where yeah. it's like you can't you can't go back. And throwing frying pans at your daughter is probably one of those thresholds. Yeah, for I mean, sure. Letting her dad rape her is probably one too. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah definitely. Um, 
The one, the stylistic thing that I was not a fan of in this movie is the um, voiceovers. Mm. I'm typically not a voiceover fan in general, but I did, I felt like the voiceovers were mean to her character. Like, I, yeah. I felt like they made her seem very simple mm-hmm. and out of touch yeah. or like... It felt very, like, it reminded me of The Blind Side, which we'll get to in a bit. <laughs> Wait, did we talk about that one already? Yeah. Yeah. It remind. it was, like, very, it felt very, like, I don't know how to explain it. It, yeah. Uh, so, so <laughs> I, I think uh, voiceovers in general have a problem because they're very, they make a character, they make the character giving the voiceover, um, they're telling, not showing, and that's kind of lazy filmmaking. Yeah. It would be my opinion. Yeah. I mean, that's like, again, like, as a writer, that's the thing that bothers me the most is when people, yeah. like, tell, not show. Yeah. And so maybe that's why they irritate me. But it, it, it does make her, it just feels very, like, like, oh, we're going to, like, wrap a nice little, like, you just watched all this. Now let's explain it back to you. Mm-hmm. Or, like, it felt just <laughs> very, I don't like It doesn't it. use it well. It doesn't yeah, use uh, it well at all. Apparently the novel Push by Sapphire. Um is written in the first person and like I, if I remember correctly I believe it's actually written sort of like you know it's not grammatically correct at the beginning and the spellings are wrong so it's like it's basically her like diary mm-hmm. um, which if you notice in like the opening credits like they're all misspelled yeah I think that to me that to me crosses a line where it's like this is kind of condescending almost to her character like I don't mm, you're you're yeah. kind of defining her by her Illiteracy, yeah. Which I don't know how I feel about that, but yeah, I like kind of forgot she's illiterate. That's yeah. just like another well, like, thing. She's like borderline illiterate. Yeah, yeah. And that it was also my other problem with her um, voiceovers was that they were difficult to understand. Mm-hmm. They were kind of quiet. Mm-hmm. It was like I just couldn't like I had a hard time like grasping what she was saying at points. And so when they like explain that she's illiterate, it's in a voiceover. Mm-hmm. And I didn't actually, like, pick up on it. Mm-hmm. I didn't really hear what she was saying. And then I was like, oh, wait. That was a weird thing to just put there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. So, Precious. Yeah. It uh, it was nominated for some awards. Most specifically, film editing, to large chagrin. Um, it won for adapted screenplay. Monique, who plays the mother, won for supporting actress. Gabrielle Sidby was nominated for best actress. Uh, Lee Daniels was nominated for Best Director, and it was nominated for Best Picture. Uh, let's move on now to a Serious Man, directed by Joel and Ethan Cohen, written by Joel and Ethan Cohen, starring Michael Stolberg, Richard Kind, Fred Melamed, Sari Lennick, Simon Helberg, Amy Landecker, Fivish Finkel, George Weiner. Um, so this is the story, not really much of a story in a way. It's about uh, Michael Stolberg's character, who's like a, a physics professor in Minnesota, um, whose life is kind of falling apart around him. It, it begins with his wife divorcing him for their friend, Cy Abelman, uh, who's a favorite character of ours. <laughs> we'll discuss them, I'm sure. Um, basically, there's that, you know, there's that going on. His brother is living with him, and his brother is um, sort of uh, kind of an odd duck and has some, has some run-ins with the law. Um, you know, he's got sort of like, he's trying to make tenure, but there's also this student who's very upset about his grades and is trying to bribe him to give him a better grade. Uh, and his son is, is also getting bar mitzvahed soon. So there's that kind of coming down the pike. Um, it's a lot of that. 
And yeah, who wants to start with the serious man? Um, I can kick us off. Okay. <laughs> um, I thought this movie was good. Um, I I was jotting down because I think the Coen Brothers are a great example of showing and not telling. Mm. <laughs> um, it's like they. Because the Coen Brothers kind of use a lot of characters, and there's a lot of like dialogue, and mm. it's da 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 da. It's usually great, um, but they, I, I feel like the Coen Brothers kind of use a lot. It's like they introduce a character, and it's like, oh, by the way, here's the deal with this character. And they like flashback to like something that like kind of explains them. Mm. Um, like you, I, I guess, like it's like the you know this is. Um, wait, who's our favorite character? Siam. <laughs> yeah, it's like there's like and then Siam, and then like flashes to Siam, and it's like, oh, this guy. <laughs> Um, um, I just, this movie is really funny. I like it. It is. Very <laughs> yeah. Um, like I, I don't. Uh, I think there are good shots. I think there's like fun moments. Um, I think most of the acting's really good. I just think it's well edited. Mm. Um, it's like it feels. Um, you, you guys aren't gonna like this, but the movie it reminds me the most of is American Beauty. Is that this is kind of the closest thing we've gotten to that. Um, in terms of like a film about American um, malaise and it's like what is it like to just be like a normal guy mm-hmm. in America and it's like yeah there's the dynamic that he's like Jewish and like how that like adds to the story um, and his life but like at the end of the day it's like none of the I don't know that any of the drama he faces is because of that Yeah, it's just mm-hmm. drama through the like frame of mm-hmm. he's a Jewish American yeah um but the writing yeah, it's, the writing's great um and it's just uh yeah uh, I will say the opening scene kind yeah. of left a bad taste in my mouth mm-hmm. like it, it's, it goes on like fairly long and it's like what it's like two people in Russia or Eastern Europe somewhere mm-hmm. um it's like a very old guy visits, and it's like, is this guy a demon, like a Jewish demon? Well, it's, it's this this guy comes to him and is like, oh, like I felt like my the, the wheel on my wagon broke, but this guy was here to fix it, and the woman's like, that guy's been dead for three years. Yeah, um, and then she's like, he's a dibuk, he's a demon, and then he comes in for like soup, and the wife is just like, no, no, he's bad news, and I'm stabbing him with an ice pick. Yeah, and the guy just gets up and leaves, and he's bleeding. Is he bleeding though? He is, yeah. Um. Yeah, I don't know how I feel about that. Like, it, 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 it's ostensibly to set the tone. And it's like, is the point that the community hasn't changed that much? Mm-hmm. Um, but I feel like there's an easier way to do that that's less weird. Yeah. Apparently it really wasn't meant to connect that much. Like, Which makes it worse. Yeah. Like, I'm trying <laughs> to give it a connection because I want to like this movie more. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, the opening scene is like kind of my main complaint. That's fair. Yeah, the I, I think it oh, it I'll put it this way it starts very weirdly I think it ends very abruptly and weirdly too it does yeah I didn't like the opening or the end yeah um, but that's why I kind of think it's like a good I mean good film about melee malaise is it's like things are just gonna keep happening and it doesn't there is no like I don't know that there is a resolution because this is a life life just goes on yeah fair enough I. I liked this movie. It's very, like, plotless. Um, but it is also very funny. And, I don't know, there, there's this thing with, like... It, it's it's all about, like, anti-climax. Like, whenever you think something's gonna happen, it doesn't. Mm-hmm. Like, when there's the scene... So, Cy Abelman is uh, Michael Stuhlbarg's character's 
wife's lover and he's hilarious like he's like he's this sort of like very like erudite like they're they're talking about like where they're gonna live after the divorce and he's like surely you must be jesting like once he makes a suggestion um he keeps hugging him he keeps too. hugging him and like putting holding his hand and like he brings some wine he's like this is no morgan david this is wine and he's like and he's like i'm not into wine it, he's so good um but there's that scene where it's like they both like uh, Michael Stolbart gets up to go to work and he gets up to go to like the golf course and you see and they're they're kind of like cutting in between like them driving and like uh, Michael Stolbart st- sees like the the student who's like bribing him to go by on his bike he's like yelling at him cursing and this is all while Cy Edelman is going to turn into like the golf course and you're like oh obviously Cy Edelman's going to take a turn like as Michael Stolbart's like yelling at the guy and then he's going to hit there's, they're they're going to get into an accident together, and Silent's going to die, and it's going to like add to the guilt of whatever this guy's feeling. But that doesn't happen at all. Like Michael Shorewood gets in an accident, he goes to work, he has an argument with the guy from Columbia Records, where he's like, "I didn't order Santana Abraxas," <laughs> which is hilarious. And it turns out Silent dies in a completely unrelated car accident. So it there, there's a lot of stuff like that, like the same thing with. Uh, um, and even when something does happen, it turns out it doesn't happen. Like, he has the dream about having his brother run away to Canada. And then he gets <laughs> shot in the back by his neighbors, but it turns out it's all a dream. <laughs> like, yeah, it's just, like, a lot of stuff like that. And I don't know how... There's, there's, like... I feel like in a lot of Coen Brothers movies, there's kind of this idea of just kind of, like, living with the mystery and sitting with the mystery and just, like, letting weird stuff happen. Like, the rabbi tells a story about, like, that guy's teeth where there's just, like, Hebrew letters engraved inside of them. And you're just... There's no explanation for it. That was weird. Yeah, it was, was weird. weird. And you're just kind of, like, supposed to sit with it and all that. So, yeah, it's just, like... Uh, it's, it's just very strange. It's, I think this is the weirdest movie we've had to watch for this podcast. Uh, Kathleen can talk. I'm going to come back with a comeback. I feel like I would agree. I mean, Benjamin Button. But, um... I feel like, yeah, just, like, in terms of storyline, I think, or just, like, things that happen the weirdest. Yes, Lars? Seabiscuit was pretty, <laughs> pretty fucked up. No, but I think you're correct. This movie just makes me feel a little uneasy. lot was very weird. <laughs> but in, like, a different way. In a different way. This was, like, the kookiest movie, I feel. The Full Monty was a pretty weird Oscar nominee, too. Yeah, I'm not saying this was a weird nominee. I kind of get why it's nominated, but, like, it's weird in the sense where it's like it has a, like an untraditional structure, yeah, and it's about like weird stuff. Hap- like it's it's not like weird in a David Lynch way, but in the way that David Lynch movies kind of feel like stream of consciousness, I feel like this is also kind of like that. Yeah, which I liked and I disliked. I again like this is more close. It's closer to a quote unquote Kathleen movie where it is just like people putzing around and stuff is happening, and that's really like I mean like huge like. Basically, what a Kathleen movie is is like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, where for like three hours you just live, watch two people live their lives. That's great, mm-hmm. and so that's closer to like a serious man. And I liked, I hated the way this movie began and made me feel so uncomfortable. And I just didn't like it. I didn't like the tone of that. It was just weird. I was like, I'm gonna hate this movie. And then like I kept on waiting for it to play back in, especially like I'm a very spiritual person, so like and all these things going on, like they're talking to rabbis, like all that stuff, I'm trying to like put the stories together. And I really don't think I was supposed to. I think it is about sitting with that mystery, which I'm chill with. I just didn't like how it gave me so many pieces 
and then like left me with nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, I don't think that's a fault of the story. Mm-hmm. I think that like this movie in general had a tone that made me uneasy, mm-hmm. um, which is impactful in its own way. Mm-hmm. Um, like this, ma- this movie made me far more uncomfortable than Precious did, like above and beyond. Like I didn't want to go to bed after I watched this movie. It made me very uncomfortable. But it was also made me laugh a lot. This movie was very funny. Um, so I don't, like, honestly, I don't have a lot to say about this movie. Like, I was thinking about it today. I was trying to, like, rank my, my the movies and stuff. And I was like, I don't know what to do with this movie. Like, I don't think I would tell someone to watch it. I wouldn't be like, here's, a, like, a good movie you should see. But I'd be like, oh, yeah, that reminds me of this funny scene from mm-hmm. this movie. It's, like, something like that. Yeah, I so I was, like... I gave it a three and a half out of five on Letterboxd, but I was thinking like all day the next day, I was like, should I give it four? Because it laugh a lot, but at the same time, it was kind of the same thing. It's like I don't know. There are only so many people I could like actually recommend this movie yeah. to. Yeah, and that was the thing. Like I wanted to rank it higher because I was like, it made me laugh, mm-hmm. like genuinely laugh. I thought this movie, like points of this movie, were hilarious. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, but I don't think I actually really enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. I ranked it pretty high. <laughs> I just it's so it's. It's, like, actually well-made. No, I, I agree. Um, I think it looks great. Yeah. It's, um... <laughs> I like the kids. The kid who always has, like, the refreeze. Like, you want you want some fuck? Because <laughs> <laughs> you, you, want, you want this fucker? Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> and when he's running away from the kid who he bought the weed from. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's, like, it's like, there's, like, kind of running gags. <laughs> and during the bar mitzvah when they're just stoned out of their minds. Yeah, yeah. And they're, like, singing the songs. And they're just, like, slumped over in their chairs with, like, mouse that gaped. It was so funny. And it's, like, he gets up to, like, actually read the door. And he just, like, takes him, like, two minutes to actually realize <laughs> where he is. Oh, it's so good. So um, good. And that's... That's why I think this movie's in part good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The other really funny scene I was thinking about is when the dad of the student comes to their house and is, like, confronting Michael Schulbar. <laughs> and the neighbor goes, this guy bothering you? <laughs> and it's like, no, it's fine. And he just, like, backs away, like, super slowly, but he's watching them the whole time. The neighbor, like, might be my favorite character. Yeah. That's not saying. Oh, yeah. And he's just, like, staring. He just looks, like, so, like, white, like, danger. White yeah. danger. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, it is... Like, comes out of the hunting trip, like, a full elk on his yeah. room. He's like, son, go inside. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh, God. The other actually, there's, I also love the, the, like, I guess, like, the guy who's, like, on the tenure committee, who has come to he's like, now, they shouldn't worry you. Like, it shouldn't worry you at all, but you should just know. There's that one point where, like, Michael Schobart's freaking out, and he goes, he goes, He's like, I'm not a bad man. He's like, I went to an art house film once. I saw Swedish Reverie. It wasn't erotic. <laughs> Except, in a way, it was. And <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> I Swedish Reverie is like a made-up movie. Like, it doesn't actually oh. exist. <laughs> um, but it's supposed to be based on like a Swedish movie that was like sold as an erotic film in the United States, even though it wasn't. I don't know. Anyway. Serious Man. Like, recommended if you're like okay rolling with weirdness, I guess. But like, it ends super abruptly. Like, it ends with a tornado about to destroy the school. <laughs> yeah. And then these kids can't get in the shelter. I don't know. Um, R.I.P. Yeah. It, it was good. Only got two awards. Or nominations, rather. On Oscar night. Uh, original screenplay and best picture. I feel like Michael Trubach definitely should have been nominated. Yes. He's very serious. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. He's very good. Well, he, he's so good in this. He looks a lot like Joaquin Phoenix. Too. Yeah. Um, anyway. Oh, fun fact about uh, the neighbor lady. Um... That actress is married to Bradley Whitford. 
Is that? Oh, wow. The neighbor lady? No, but... Bradley Whitford, he's like the star yeah. of West Wing. Oh. He's the dad in Get Out. Okay. Yeah. He's great. Cabin in the Woods. Yes. Anyway. Other things. Move on to Up in the Air. Uh, directed by Pete Doctor. Shouldn't Up be alphabetically next? I meant Up. Oh. I, I was reading how the stuff for Up. Directed <laughs> to Up. Uh, directed by Pete Doctor. Uh, written by Bob Peterson and Pete Doctor. Story by Bob Peterson, Pete Doctor, and Tom McCarthy. Uh, starring Ed Asner, Christopher Plummer, Jordan Nagel, Bob Peterson, and Pete Doctor. Uh, and... One other person? No, Jordan Nagel's the guy. Oh, interesting. Anyway, so Up uh, is an animated film. Our first animated film for this podcast. Um, hmm. Other than Avatar. Yeah. Right. Oh, oh, oh. Uh, it is about uh, Ed Asner's character named Carl. Carl Fredrickson, um, who... Uh, is living in this kind of like rapidly developing city, uh, but he's in this sort of old house he bought with his wife years before. And of course, there's the famous sort of opening sequence that shows his life with his wife, and eventually her passing. It's all very sad. Um, and he's he's kind of a curmudgeon and all of that. And you know, he and his wife's goal was to go to Paradise Falls, Paradise Falls, somewhere in South America. Um, and so what he does is he's he's a balloon salesman. So he hooks up like a million balloons to the top of his house. Oh, is he a balloon salesman? Yeah. yeah, that's a. Thing. It's like he's a balloon like salesman zoo. at the zoo, and his wife is a zookeeper. What? Yeah. When did that, that happen? The opening scene when you were doing your hours. <laughs> <laughs> when we, so we usually watch these movies on Monday nights when Kathleen has to quote put in her hours for <laughs> whatever that means. Um, yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, so he, he takes out from the air to fly down to South America. He unknowingly has a stowaway in the form of Russell, who's uh, basically a boy scout. Oh, uh, that's trademarked. Yeah. <laughs> but he's something. <laughs> like an adventure scout or something. I think it is an um, scout. Who uh, needs his, like, assisting the elderly badge or whatever. Um, and they end up in Paradise Falls, and they find out that the adventurer who Carl had idolized as a child is alive and well, but also very crazy. And so it's about, like, their adventure and then their escape, I would say. I had no clue that she was a zookeeper. Yeah. This is blowing my mind. Well, and any other insights you'd like to share about this film? Oh, it was a big okay. That, I, I, that's a hot take. It is. I Okay, ready? I'm usually not a fan of animated films. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't really like films geared towards children. I don't really like these kind of adventure films because it irritates me that, like, it's very plot-based. And there's always, like, something that, like, throws things off. Like, everything would be fine, but, like, Russell being in the house throws everything off, you know? Or, like, just, like, the movie, I don't, I don't think we have to watch this movie for this podcast, thank the good lord, but, um, Inside Out. We don't. It's, like, this is a perfect example of what I hate, because it's just, like, they're on this adventure, and every five minutes, something just throws them off course. Drives me fucking insane. And I just, like, that happened less with Up. It was more straightforward. But it's just, I felt nothing. I didn't care about the character. Like, I wanted to see their life together. That would have been nice. It was a great theme. I'll say it was a great theme. And it was actually something I'll tell you off the podcast, Michael, that our grandfather said um, to our mother. Maybe she told you about it. I don't know. It, like, it, like... Like, the the wife, the deceased wife, reminds me of our grandfather, where it's really just, like, it's all, like, it's all fine. It's all about the journey, like, live a rich life. And, like, the wife understood that so well. Carl was, like, not mm-hmm. getting that. Um, 
And I just didn't. I, I felt I don't care about this movie. I don't dislike it. I don't think it's a bad movie. I just personally would never watch it again. The dog was funny. I thought the dog, dog was very funny. Um, there were talking dogs. There were talking dogs. And, like, I thought that was going to drive me insane. Because that seems like something I would hate. He was actually very funny. Mm-hmm. Um, otherwise, like, I just... Big okay. Like, really just didn't do anything for me. I don't understand why people like this movie. So this was my first time seeing this movie. I, th- I think it might be my favorite Pixar movie now. I thought it was, like, amazing. I thought it was, like... It took, like... Pixar's, you know, sort of, like, it was, it was the most, like, art I feel like Pixar has ever done, Mm. right? Like, this feels like the most, like, like, not, it's not like an art film, obviously, but it's the most, it's the most original conceit I think they've ever had. Like, I feel like their whole thing is, like, oh, it's about, like, secret worlds, like, what do the toys do when you're not watching? What do bugs do when you're not watching, right? Um, what are the monsters under your bed actually like? But this is just (laughs) kind of about, like, a, it's about, like, a flight of fancy. It's, like, a fantasy, but it's also, like, Grounded, like the thing, like it the, in this big, like this guy is gonna lose his house because he gets sued for hitting another guy in the head, like for like assault. Yeah, like, it's like there's like blood in this movie, <laughs> like not much of it, but there's well, blood. I don't think that's gonna, is that did he get sued for assault or did they think that he was just like unfit to take care of himself? I mean, uh, well, that's the, the implication is, is like you have he, to leave. Yeah, yeah, it's like that's probably like part of the outcome of the trial okay. is that he has to go to. Like chill acres or whatever it's called. Now. <laughs> chill acres. That, that, that's a man seeking. Um, <laughs> show from like five years ago. Anyway, uh, uh, yeah, no, I, I, this, this, I don't know. It's just like it's an escapist movie that's like literally about escape, which I think is interesting. Um, you know, it's, 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 it's about. I don't know. It's just so. It's about people, like, kind of. I don't know. It, it's it's the most sort of like touching Pixar movie I've ever seen, and maybe because it's kind of about like actual humans and not like cars or bugs or robots. Cars. Um, but like, Ciao. you know, this idea of like wanting to be like to to try and like push back against modernity and like trying to recapture that sense of adventure and romance in your life, like. I, there's something I find very moving about that. That's not what I got from this movie, though. That's what I got from it. You missed the first 15 minutes, remember? <laughs> I watched... That what I got from this movie was, like, very different. I didn't think it was What'd about you get? capturing adventure. I thought it was about, like, a man who, like, lived a very happy life with his wife, but always felt guilt over the fact that, like, the one thing that they planned, they never achieved. And that, like, life always got, like, life, quote-unquote, always down the way. Like, they had savings to go to Paradise Falls, but they, like, had to get a new car, or, like, things like that would happen that they would have to pay for. And I think that, like, I thought that he didn't understand the concept that that was a fun thing for them to plan for, but the real fun was in living every day together. Yeah, and that's definitely, like... Because he... It's like they meet when they're kids and she has the book of things she's going to do. Yeah. When she has her all adventures, she's going to put them in there. And he opens it up sad because he doesn't think there's going to be anything in there, but it's, like, their everyday life that's yeah. in there. No, I think that's definitely part of it. But I also think that, like... 
even his sort of, like, illusion that they didn't do anything, I think speaks to, like, an actual thing of, like, you know, sort of, like, the people who he's surrounded by in the town are, like, basically faceless and nameless. Um, they're kind of drones, and the idea that, like, he, he wanted something more than he actually got, and he's finally taking it upon himself to actually, like, go for what he wanted, I don't know. That spoke to me. But I think you're, you're right about that, too. Like, there is, I think, you know, and it, the, his whole relationship with Russell kind of, I think, might suggest that, like, that's the most important part, because Russell yeah. has, like, an absentee father, um, and all, which was, like, maybe a little manipulative. But, yeah, for uh, sure. I like how Russell has to explain that, like, the woman he's, like, refer- like his mom's not his, like, Carl was like, you call your mom, like, whatever her name was. Yeah, yeah, And she's like, this is not my mom. Yeah, it's like, yeah. it was so weirdly, like, yeah. oh, I don't like that. <laughs> um, I don't know. That's my take on it. Lars, you haven't really said much. <laughs> I haven't said anything, Mike. <laughs> Thanks for noticing. <laughs> Um, I feel like Kathleen and I are going to butt heads on every single movie this <laughs> this time. Um, I, so I disagree with literally everything you said, Kathleen. I do think it's good, but most importantly, the thing I disagree with both of you on is I actually think the dogs are the worst part of this movie. Oh, what? Dog's so funny. Um, I, I find the running gag of like the dog with the broken like, yeah, voice yeah. thing that is so like annoying. I don't like that at all. It doesn't really work. I don't like that at all. And I find... But the dog waiters... The dog waiters are fine, <laughs> but it's like Doug as a character like kind of bothers me after the first like thirty seconds. There were just like some jokes thrown in there. I did not like all of it. I don't like it when things commit that hard to like mm. a gag. But yeah. there were some things where I'm like, this is genuinely fun. Like this, this is something that I never laugh at, and I'm like very pleased with this. Well, okay. he tells the joke about the squirrel. Yeah, that's so, hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> that part's good. <laughs> uh, he goes, "Want to hear a funny joke?" He goes, "It's like, what is it? It's like." Squirrel, squirrel looks for like nuts in the winter. Can't find nuts. Squirrel dies. It's funny because the squirrel dies. <laughs> um, oh, that's so good. I I think Kevin is funny. The burb. I yes. hate Kevin. Okay. See, I disagree. <laughs> like honestly, the funniest scene is like kind of at the beginning, where like the house takes off. And he discovers Russell on his porch, and he's, like, thinking of ways to get rid of him. And he's kind of, like, going down on, like, bandanas. Yeah. And, like, <laughs> it's, like, a... Not real, but it's, like, very... At the time, it's just, like, dangling this kid yeah. out of the house. Yeah. Um, yeah, but I think it's a, it's a good movie. Yeah. Um, I agree with everything you said, Mike, that it's, like, a Pixar movie with actual people, and that kind of makes it um, more sentimental than Lightning McQueen, if you feel that way. <laughs> Um, Lars is a big Cars fan. I, I, Cars is good. I, I think Monsters Inc. kind of like does it for me more, but that also has a person in it. <laughs> um, yeah. It like makes me feel more because mm-hmm. um, I think this movie kind of gets lost in a few parts. It just gets like a little weird. Um, like I, I, I do think like there's like a hey, don't meet your heroes yeah. vibe, yeah. but it's like kind of fun and like that's like the first point where Carl is actually like excited it's mm-hmm. like it's mostly like Russell and Doug are like pumped about everything because it's an adventure but like Carl doesn't get pumped until he meets like his childhood hero who then turns out to be like a monster mm-hmm. like kinda but like he was right like <laughs> um was it Charles Vance or whatever his name is um Christopher Plummer Charles Munts mm-hmm. <laughs> um 
Like, I don't, other than, like, trying to kill a child, <laughs> isn't Charles Muntz technically correct? About what? It's like, he brought home the, the skeleton of the bird. Right. And then they were like, that can't be real. Go mm. find us a real one. So he goes back to try and look for one. He's been looking for one for years, but he can't catch one. And, like, the world, like, didn't believe him and ostracized him. I mean, he's right, but he's wrong in that he's, like, you know... It's like, people are trying to find my bird. He tries to, like, murder people who want it, too. Yeah. Like, that's not so good. But, like, they sent him back there, and maybe he went a little insane. I don't know. I think he sent Um, himself back there. uh, I don't know. I don't feel any sympathy for him. I'm just... (laughs) um, Yeah. I I also feel like in this day and age, you could prove that that skeleton's real. Yeah. Carbon dating. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know what carbon dating actually is. And you (laughs) tell the age of, of... of things made of carbon. So if you carbon dated all of the bones, because what the argument was that they were put together, they were put together. So if you carbon dated all the bones and they all matched up, you could make the argument that it was all from the same mm-hmm. rough era. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I don't know. Um, I think this is a deserved film to be the first best picture nominee, but I do think Monsters Inc. should have been there. It w- well, it was the first Pixar nominee. Um, Beauty and the Beast was nominated in like '91. I mean Pixar. I do mean Pixar. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm happy this was nominated, but I'm also happy it did not win. Not because it's bad, just because I think this is not what the world needed in 2010. Nine. Well, I mean, oh, uh, yeah, I during the ceremony. Yeah. Yeah, I've been told for years to watch this movie, like years, so many years. Like, when it came out, it was 2009, Michael had his confirmation. And at Michael's confirmation... Did I? Confirmation? Yeah, because... Our, I confer- confirmation didn't happen until, like, junior year of high school. You were at something, and it was in the church, and the person running it gave up... Maybe it was when before you graduated, they gave, like, a... What is that, like... A baccalaureate? Yeah. I graduated in 2012. I know. But there was a thing where you were at the church, and they gave a whole speech about this movie. I mean, maybe it was there. It probably wasn't when this movie came out. It probably was after it came out. Anyway. So, like, I just never saw it. I have had so many people tell me, like, all, like, just, like, I can't even, like, so many people who are so intrinsic to my life tell me I need to watch this. And I was always like, no, because I'm not going to hate it. But I'm not going to like it, and it's going to disappoint you, and I'm going to feel nothing but lost time. And that's what I feel like for this movie. <laughs> I, I do think um, this, like, of all the ten movies nominated this year, this and Avatar are, like, the only two that actually had, like, a moment. It's like, this movie, like, everyone was telling everyone to watch this movie. Yeah. Um, Glorious like, Bastards, I think, had that, too. That was, like, a hit. But, but, like, Up stuck for, like, a year or two. Like, everyone was like, oh, my God, did you see Up? I think if you were to poll people in the world about which movie they saw, of the nominees would probably be Up. Uh, yeah. Even um, though literally more of them statistically saw Avatar. <laughs> but, yeah, but I'm saying, like, both of them are, like, the big kind of standout yeah. ones. Yeah. Uh, well, they're, they're probably... The, my, I, don't, I don't know this for sure. They're probably the biggest box office. Yes. Yeah, probably. I will say, though, really lovely message this movie has about, you know, the little things in life being the important ones. Don't kill children. Yeah, don't kill children. I, I do think that's very touching, and maybe it's because I'm in a relationship right now, but I do think that's very... I think that was very needed. Yeah. For sure. Um... 
Yeah, Up was the second highest grossing of the nominees after Avatar. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, Up was nominated for editing, original score. Um, uh, it won animated feature, nominated for original screenplay, and for picture. I think it should have won for original score. Actually, I think it did. I think I just recorded this wrong. Let's find out. It did win for original score. I don't know why I had that wrong. Anyway, let's move on to Up in the Air. Directed by Jason Reitman. What are you laughing at, Kathleen? Oh, the concealer I gave Lars. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> let's move on to Up in the Air. Directed by Jason Reitman. Uh, written by Jason Reitman and Sheldon Turner. Based on the novel same name by Walter Kern. Starring George Clooney, Vera Farmiga, Anna Kendrick, and Danny McBride. Up in the Air tells the story of Ryan Bigham, who is a guy who worked for a company that basically sends him out to fire people. Um, He lives a very sort of... He basically lives in airports. He lives on airplanes. He's not in his apartment very often. Uh, He he lives this very sort of like, uh, you know... Like like in Fight Club, like a single-serve life. And until one day... Basically, two people enter his life that kind of changes things. One, he meets this woman who kind of lives the same lifestyle as he does, and he becomes, like, instantly bewitched, and they start an affair. And also, he kind of takes under his wing Anna Kendrick's character, who wants to automate this company's process, basically, but who he is convinced to basically demonstrate to her that that's not possible and requires sort of, like, human touch. Um, Kathleen, this was your first time seeing this movie. Another big okay. <laughs> I, I remember, like, my grandparents were like this movie. Mm-hmm. It was another movie that I was like, oh, everybody was like, oh, so good. I just don't get it. I don't know. I, like, have nothing to say about this movie. Like, honestly, truly have very little to say about this movie. You just don't like movies with up in the title. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> I think it's what it is. It's true. I, Lars I, I have a lot to say about this movie. <laughs> um... um I could be convinced that this is the deepest movie of this year and possibly the last, like, few years. Um, all right. So they take George Clooney and Anna Kendrick, two of the most likable people of all time, and they make them, like, terrible people whose, like, job is to go, like, fire people and then supposed to, like, remotely fire people. Um, it's just, like, such a good story about, like... Um, a changing world. It's like, this is kind of our, this is our first recession movie. This is our first movie about the recession. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like a changing world. There's the future. Thousands of people are losing their jobs. And it's, um, uh, Clooney, uh, Bigham's character or Bigham is a, uh, he's like a traditionalist in this very, um, futuristic changing world. And they're trying to get him to be able to like remote fire people and like change that. And he's like, no, I have to be able to sit there. There's like a process by which this needs to be done. And Kendrick's kind of trying to, like, bridge him, get him to be that. And it becomes ultimately kind of this message. It's like, how do you adapt to change? And the answer, as it turns out, is, like, you have people who, like, care for you, help you. Um, There's just a lot of, like, very... um, um, And, you know, it's sort of all framed as, like, he's a guy who's constantly traveling, and he's got all these, like, rewards, and he, like, he's, like... Um, there's nothing cheap about loyalty. He's got all these loyalty rewards programs. It's like, that really spoke to me. <laughs> Ironic for someone who's supposed to fire people. Right. Um, um, and he's very, like, this, he, like, it shows you his whole routine at the airport. It's like, 
the slower we move, the faster we die. It's like very like boom, boom, it's because boom. Because Lars is like this. It yeah. is. I know. I was like, the is. only reason Lars likes this movie and thinks it's deep is because this is who Lars is. I'm not like this heartless. Um, um, and it, but it's like you know he tries to blend this like idealism. Um, but he's like deep, like Anna Kendrick is very idealist. She has this boyfriend. He's like, oh, we're gonna make it work. We live very far away. They end up breaking up. Um, oh, they live together. But she's just but like she's a traveling lot. a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, um, and Clooney, you know, he he kind of has to confront this. Like she's very idealistic, but he's very real. And like, there's like a moment, not between the two of them, but he's like explaining or advertising himself. It's like. Um, you know, why do kids love athletes? And, like, someone answers, it's like, oh, well, it's because they date supermodels. And, like, George Clooney's like, no, that's why you and I, as adults, mm-hmm. like athletes. Kids like them because they believe in their dreams. It's like, mm-hmm. you, you have to think um, differently. Um, Apple. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, just, I just think this is, like, a very teaching movie. It's like, how do you adapt? How do you grow? And, like, what really matters even when you are the most efficient and, like, traditional kind of person? And it's about people. People are what ultimately matter. Yeah. It's this, like, this is Lars. Lars is just explaining himself and his life. <laughs> yeah. I, do you hate me, Kathleen? <laughs> no, well, I Maybe love after you, this Lars. episode. <laughs> You're my best friend. Um, anyway, I love this movie. I, I like this movie a lot, too. What... <laughs> So we, we find, this is a spoiler alert, but this movie's been out for 11 years now. Um, we find out later that Vera Farmer is actually married. That was, um, that was heart-wrenching. Right. Which is obviously heart-wrenching when you first watch it. But having seen this movie like two or three times before and watching it again, like all the times they're hanging out, is just the most anxiety-inducing thing ever. Because yeah. you're like, oh my god, he's gonna find out eventually. Um, and what, yeah, and like I think that, that, but I think that aspect of it works the best for me, where... You know, he's treated, um, he's treated life as kind of, not disposable, but he's, he's surrounded himself in a disposable world, and in sort of an artificial world, and a, a very materialistic world. Um, very transactional. Yeah, where he, he populates his life of objects and not people, and then because of that he ends up be, being, treat, being treated like an object. Um, so, that I think is like, really works for me. Um, <laughs> and... Like, when he, he, he goes to, like... I, well, I think this works so well, and it's kind of, like, a subtle bit of filmmaking until you, like, notice it, and then it's kind of obvious, but, like, when he goes up to her doorstop in, like, Chicago, and she opens the door, and she's kind of, like, shocked, and she, like, clearly, like, realizes what's going on, and she, like, closes the door, and you hear her husband say, honey, who's at the door? And she just goes, just someone who's lost. It's like, ah, just like he's lost in life. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. It, it It's, like, oddly uplifting, even though he's, he's like, a depressing dude. Um... But he ultimately learns. Yeah. Like, he learns what matters. Yeah. The ending of this movie had always confused me, um, because it ends with him getting on a plane, and, like, he, it ends with this, like, voiceover where he says, like, you know, throughout the country, like, people will be, like, going to bed and coming home from work, but I'll be, you know, they'll look up in the sky and they'll see my wingtip blinking on the lights. I'm like, so he just does his job again, but it's not, because it's like, Anna Kendrick's like, oh, if I could do anything, I'd just walk into an airport, look at the board... And just, like, pick one. And that's what he does at the end. Yeah. yeah. But he didn't say he does it, so it was lost to me, like, the first, like, 5,000 times I watched this movie. <laughs> and then... I can't remember if this happens before that or after that, but it's, like, it ends with, like, all the people he's fired. Yeah. Or, like, you're commenting earlier. Um, by the way, Zach Galifianakis has, like, a, <laughs> yes, <laughs> a scene yeah. at the beginning of this movie. It's very, very good. 
Uh, but it's like they're talking like, oh, now I have time to spend with like my kids. And it's like, mm-hmm. how do you take this like horrible thing that happened? You lost your job. And it's like, mm-hmm. make a positive yeah. message out of it, which like, that's a little like heart stringy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it, does that, yeah. that's how it ends, right? It like closes Pretty on much, that. Yeah. 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 Uh, it's, it's, uh, it's interesting because like, there are obviously like scenes where like J.K. Simmons, Zach Galifianakis, like they're actual actors in those scenes. But also, in a lot of the scenes, it's like people would actually just been fired. Like mm. they found people would actually just been fired, um, and like basically asked them to like kind of reenact it or whatever. Uh, and so there's people who are saying like I have time for my kids and like I'm going to do this. Like those are actual people; those aren't actors. Mm. Um, That's nice. This movie actually kind of reminds me of the other George Clooney movie we watched, Michael Clayton, a little bit. I feel like they're both <laughs> about being defined by what you do for a living and then becoming dissatisfied with it and then trying to like change that. He um, has like the same voiceover kind of in both. <laughs> Yeah. Is there a voiceover in Michael Clayton? I don't think there is. I mean, he just has the same voice. Well, he sounds the same. He's George Clooney. <laughs> yes. He's the same person. Yeah. Um, yeah, I like this movie. I it, It's sort of like a... I almost feel like they don't make movies like this anymore, which I feel like is what people said when this movie came out. Yeah. But I feel... I, I, I still feel that way. This movie kind of uses a voiceover good. Well. Well, thank you. <laughs> Right? Like, the voice yeah, actor yeah. actually, like, adds to this film. Mm-hmm. I forgot about the voiceover, so I will say yes. Yeah. I agree. Because yeah. it describes to you something. Like, the best voiceovers, and Goodfellas does the best, um, the, it, it, it presents you with the facts, and then, like, the action gives you the texture. Is, is how I feel about it. Um, but yeah, up in the air. We're all good and up in the air. I'm so excited that we're at recession movies. Okay, it's a big. So this is a big I don't know how many deal. movies we watch that are actually like recession-y, but uh, this is just so large sure. territory. Um, <laughs> so up in the air, uh, it was not. I don't think it won anything. It did not. It was nominated for adapted screenplay. Vera Farmiga was nominated for best supporting actress. Anna Kendrick was nominated for best supporting actress. George Clooney was nominated for Best Actor. Jason Reitman for Best Director. Um, nominated for Best Picture. Funny, isn't it so funny this movie's directed by the guy who directed Juno? I know. <laughs> I know. Yeah, and Thank um, You for Smoking, which is another one of your favorite movies. Yes. And I've heard Young Adult and Tully are, are also very good. Um, I'm glad he uh, matured and stopped directing Junos. <laughs> and his father directed Ghostbusters. Ivan Reitman. Who are you going to call? Ghostbusters. Ghostbusters. All right. So, the year is now 2010. You are a voting member of the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences. You are given a ballot for Best Picture that lists <clears throat> Avatar, The Blind Side, District 9, and Education, The Hurt Locker, and Glorious Bastards, Precious Space and Level Push by Sapphire, A Serious Man, Up and Up in the Air. How do you rank these films. Now remember, because of the move to 10 films, the Academy changed the voting rules. Instead of just voting for your favorite, you had to rank them from 1 to 10 because ranked choice voting system, which meant that in the event that no film won a majority, after the first round of balloting, uh, the film that got the least amount of votes, was, at least amount of first place votes was eliminated, so that everyone who had that film as their number one um, their vote moved from that one movie to their number two movie. Instant runoff. And so on and so forth. Instant runoff. Um, so how I think we'll do this is we'll we'll start with our... We'll, we'll go around in a circle. We'll go 10, 10, 10 and do it that way. And we won't really talk about it until we get to number one. Does that sound good? Sounds great. Okay, cool. Um, so who do you want to start with? 
You, Mike. Okay, number ten, I have the blind side. Wow. Yeah. Um, Lars. Sorry, I'm keeping track of something here. Um, I have Avatar. Okay. Number ten. Same Avatar. Okay, I have Avatar at nine. Um, I have Precious at nine. Oh wow. (laughs) Wow. Sorry. (laughs) Ev up. Jeez. Wow, Kathleen! I didn't like it. This is a controversial okay. episode. Okay, man. I told you that I wasn't gonna like it. This is why nine? I haven't watched it. Okay, fine. <laughs> number eight, I have an education. Wait, what did you have for nine? Avatar. Oh, okay. Uh, number eight, I have an education. I had the blind side. I had the blind side. Number seven, I had precious. Uh, I had an education. I had up in the air. Okay. God damn. Uh, number six, I had district nine. Uh, number six, I had up. I had an education. <laughs> number five, I had a serious man. Uh, I had District Nine. I had a serious man. Ooh, okay. I think this. Well, no, you got Avatar both. Uh, number four, I had up in the air. Uh, number four, I had Inglorious Bastards. Wait, I for sure missed one. I'm. I have Precious. Okay. Did, wow. did you do an education twice? Are we all just saying it? No. no. Everyone's, everyone's good so far. I have okay. nine on my list. What am I missing? All right, well, uh, I'll say number four, I had up in the air. Oh, I forgot the You already said that, Mike. Did I say? We already yeah. did our number We're fours? on number three now. Oh, number three, I had up. Okay, so four, I had precious. Okay. Three, you had up. Yes. Kathleen. Sorry, three, I had a serious man. Three, I had District Nine. Oh, wow. Two, I had Inglorious Bastards. Two, I had up in the air. Kathleen. Two, I had Hurt Locker. Okay. One, I had Hurt Locker. One, I had Hurt Locker. Inglorious Bastards. So why why did we pick what we picked? So Hurt Locker won our instant runoff. Just yes. By the way. <laughs> yeah. I because I was I forgot about Hurt Locker mm. because when I. I feel like when I looked at the list today, it was not on the list. Well, if, if you look at the list, it was at the very top, because we're one in real life. Yasuko's got it right! <laughs> yeah, I, I think they did. I think they did, too. Yeah. Um, so, I made my list of nine, but it worked out, because I think that Hurt Locker would have been in my top three anyway. Mm. And so, at the last moment, I was like, do I do Inglorious Bastards or Hurt Locker for mm. number one? And I just enjoy Inglorious Bastards. Like, Hurt Locker... It's a fantastic movie, mm. and I love the way it looks and everything, but Inglourious Bastards just makes me so happy. Mm. I wanted, because this was just a good year for me, I feel, because I had two movies that I liked, that I needed to just celebrate that. Cool. Um, Hurt Locker has it all. Like, this this movie just, like, mm. um, up in the air is close, but, like, Hurt Locker, like, the directing's better. Mm-hmm. Um the like editing is tenser like up in the air like they're intentionally very different right yeah, yeah. Um, but like the Hurt Locker is like this film matters mm-hmm. so much up in the air is just like great mm-hmm. um, you just like feel you feel the Hurt Locker and mm-hmm. you don't uh, yeah I don't think you have any other film this year that you like feel that viscerally yeah it's 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 pulse pounding and I don't think right. I really understood that until I was older yeah, I think when I first saw it, I thought it was kind of like weird, and like it looked weird, and it, it, it felt kind of weird, and really get it. But now, like walking back now, it's like when he's when he's trying to get the bomb out of the car, and like the windshield wipers start, and like mm. your heart just like stops because yeah. like oh fuck, he's about to blow up, but then he doesn't. Um, yeah, I don't know. It just really 
really like vis- like said, visceral, like gritty. It, it what I loved about this so much is that it didn't really feel like an Oscar movie. Mm. It's deserving of the win, absolutely, but it's it it's it's not. There's like no like you think about the movies in two thousand eight and how different they feel from the Hurt Locker, how like prestige they were, and how this movie's just kind of like down in the sand. Looks like it's on a VHS tape. Uh, just just how sort of like raw it is, and I really appreciate that. And it, it, like of all of these ten movies, if you like name the top five scenes, they would all be in the Hurt Locker. Yeah, yeah. Um, Glorious Bastards I had number two because I think it's the one that made me thought, think the most like I came to that conclusion about the storytelling I was like oh this actually provoked things in me um, but cool so Hurt Locker Hurt Locker and Glorious Bastards but I'm happy with Hurt Locker yeah like yeah. I would I would be either way really mm-hmm. they're like neck and neck for me mm-hmm. but I just was so happy watching Glorious Bastards and this is why all categories should be instant runoff Oscars ranked choice everything Lars was we watched the Golden Globes the other week and Lars was appalled to find out that's a people like 88 people who are voting for five nominees and it's like just simple majority. The Golden Globes are corrupt and that's a terrible <laughs> system to vote for five candidates. Yeah. Come at me. International press. Yeah, wrong. Hollywood foreign Hollywood press. press. <laughs> um, okay. Well, thanks so much for listening. Uh, this has been the Real Life Oscar Challenge. Um, follow us on Spotify, iTunes, and Google Podcasts. Um, you can read all of our writing on thepostwriter.com. It's also where we post our uh, episodes. We're also on SoundCloud still. Um, I'm Mike Levito. You can find me on Twitter at Ameramike and Letterboxd. No, no. Twitter at Mlevito and Letterboxd at Ameramike. I'm missing the order there. I'm Lars Emerson. You can find me on Letterboxd at Lars Emerson. I'm Kathleen Levito, and you can find me on Instagram at Rise of the Sun. Yeah. So thanks so much for listening once again. Um, next episode will be part one of 2010. The movies nominated for that year were 127 Hours, Black Swan, The Fighter, Inception, nice. The Kids Are The Kids Are All Right, The King's Speech, The Social Network, Toy Story 3, True Grit, and Winter's Bone. So join us for that episode. I'm excited to watch Winter's Bone. I've never watched it before. This is the first year I remember like rooting for something. Yeah. So hard. Did it win? No. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know anyone who's rooting for the King's Speech. Anyway, uh, thanks so much for listening. And yeah, ranked choice voting. It can be fun. Hopefully that sounded good on the podcast. But uh, yeah, thanks so much. Goodbye. <laughs>